Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Life Point Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, check out lpcvan.com forward slash youth. And so God's first step is to have this conversation. He says, I'm going to rescue you. You've gone astray. I'm going to rescue you. Guess how I'm going to do it? Hey, my child, go and talk to your brother. I'm going to rescue you. Hey, you in the back, you're, you're falling into sin. I'm going to come rescue you like the lost sheep, like Courtney said last week. Here's how I'm going to do it. Hey, sister, daughter, daughter, I want you to go talk to your sister. God invites us to be a part of that rescue mission. But look what he says about the conversation. Look what he says here. How many people should be a part of this conversation? Slides, please. How many people should be a part of this conversation? If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So let's say somebody sins against us, right? They sin against us and like, man, they hurt my feelings even, right? And you know what I want to do? Who do I want to talk to? Everybody but them, right? You ever been there? Hey, what's your name, young lady? Haven. Haven, right? This is like your first time, isn't it? Man, this is maybe dangerous, Haven. Come back next week, okay? Promise? Nice. So Haven, she sins against me. She goes, and you don't even know, guys, you don't know what Haven did to me? She posted on her Snapchat that I was afraid of the dark. (laughs) She literally told everybody, she gossiped about me. Right? Dude, did you hear what Kennedy did to me? She tweeted about me. She didn't even, like, tag me my handle. She gossiped behind my back by telling everybody what happened in my small group last week. And I thought that was private. Did you hear what Ethan did to me? Dude, he told all of his friends in homeroom the other day what I told him in private last night when I asked him to pray for me. Did he just sin against me? Did these ladies just sin against me? Absolutely. And so here's what I'm tempted to do. I'm tempted to not do what Jesus said. I'm tempted to go and tell everybody else something about them. And so here's what Jesus tells us. He tells us that when we have this conversation, we have to check our motives. Okay? He says, go alone. Don't go and tell 15 other people. Because really, what's your motivation there? They hurt my reputation. I'm going to hurt theirs. But Sam, you just don't. I mean, Sam, I have to go get advice, don't I? Before I tell Keaton that she sinned against me, I need to go and just get advice from these 20 other people in my homeroom so I make sure that I'm handling this rightly. Do we need advice from those 20 other people? Is that your motive? Or is your motive in talking about it with everybody to kind of just hurt them because they hurt you? Right? And so our motive here, friends, when we're having this one-on-one conversation, our motive is to see them rescued. Our motive is to save them from their sin, not to try to hurt them because they hurt us. Does that make sense? The first step in God's rescue mission is to have this conversation. If you need advice, then go and talk to one mature adult, get some advice and counsel, and then go and have the conversation. That's what he's saying here, church. You you check your motives. Go and have this conversation. And now look at the outcome, okay? Look at the outcome. When God says, hey, son, 
go and talk to your brother. Hey, daughter, go and talk to your, your, your sister here. Look at the outcome, okay? If, you, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If he listens to you, if he says to you, oh man, Sam, like, you're right. This is going to wreck me. You're right. I am on a path to sin. You're right. Thank you for telling me this because this would have wrecked me. Then you gain something there. To gain something means that something almost was lost, right? What was going to be lost? The relationship, our unity, their purity. These are things that are on the verge of being lost. But look, rescue mission was successful. God rescued the lost sheep. How? Through your brothers and sisters. God rescues you through the us, right? God rescues you through us. But now, let's, let's keep going here. Let's keep walking through this process. Because how many people know that it's not always that simple, right? I go and talk to JJ. He sinned against me. And I go, hey, dude, like, I feel like you, you just really... You sin here, man. You're, you're walking in some sin here. What if he doesn't say, thank you, I'll change? What if he says, nah, dude, this is just like, this is just your opinion. You're just being sensitive. That's not a sin. That's just you have a problem with me. So what happens if that happens? Well, let's keep reading here. Look at the next verse. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So here's what we see here. If they don't listen, if your girlfriend doesn't listen, if he, if your, well, girl, if your friend that's a girl doesn't listen, dudes, if your guys don't listen to you, if your boys, this is what we learn. The rescue mission does not give up easily. This rescue mission does not give up easily. And so maybe they're here, they go, ah, you know, this is just your opinion. I don't think that you're seeing this objectively. I just, I don't think this is sin. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Thank you very much, but no thank you. So what we learn here is that you are to go and find one or two more people. You go and find a couple more people so that when you approach them, this is what the message is. When I bring a couple of friends with me and then we sit down and talk about it, I'm making this very clear. It's not just me. This is not just my opinion. Other people are bearing witness with this. This, according to the scriptures, is sin. This is not pleasing to Jesus. And so you're increasing the exposure here, right? You're increasing the exposure so that they can understand it's not just me. Now, I, I want to be fair, because what does this look like in high school? What does this actually look like in middle school? Sam, I had a conversation with them once. I sent them a text. They refused to listen to me. They didn't even respond. Now I need to go and get all my small groups to call. Listen, it doesn't mean you just talk to them once. How many times did the person approach them alone, him and his brother? How many times? It doesn't say. And so if one of my boys is sinning, if one of my boys is caught in sin and he's not repenting, that doesn't mean I have to jump to this level. I can continue to talk to him. I can try again and again, and I can keep praying, and we can keep talking. This doesn't mean that you only talk to him one-on-one -on -one once. What it means is, after all of those repeated efforts, because you're not giving up easily, after all of those efforts and energy, once you become convinced that this is not going anywhere one-on-one, -on -one, 
Once you become convinced that they're no longer hearing you, then you move on and you grab a couple of people to come with you. Who do you grab? Where in the Bible is it going to tell you the rules on the types of people that you should bring? You open up to the appendix in your Bible and it says, I'm just kidding, there's no appendix, right? (laughs) I'm sorry, there's no appendix, right? My point is this, friends, okay? The, 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 the passage is not telling you who to bring. The point is simply this. We want to see them rescued. And so if you're in high school and you're like, man, who should I bring? Who are the one or two other people that I should bring? I think we should, this is a good practical application. Bring people that will be effective. Okay? Bring a youth staffer. Bring your youth pastor, right? Bring one person or maybe two people at the most who are actually going to be relevant to the situation, right? And so, so if Parker sins against me, right, and I know that he doesn't really get along with Stephen, I'm probably not going to bring Stephen to the conversation. That's not going to help Parker hear me. I'm going to find people that Parker respects. I'm going to find people that are friends with Parker that actually love him and care for him, and he knows that they love him, so he's more prone to listen to him, Right? I think we should have wisdom when we think about who to bring to these conversations. And so we bring a couple of people along. We want to see them rescued from their path. We want to see them turn around and change direction. That's the goal. We're not trying to put them on blast. We're not trying to embarrass them. I'm not trying to shame you when I approach you about sin. My goal is God's goal, to see you rescued. And we learn that God rescues you through us. At this point of the process, you know what occurs to me? Do you see how vital people are to God's rescue mission, right? In order to rescue you, God is saying, hey, you, go and see your brother. Hey, you three, go and talk to your brother. Hey, you three, go and talk to your sister. God uses people as his rescue mission. That is his strategy. And so what occurs to me is this. If God's going to rescue you through us, you need an us, Right? If God is going to rescue you through us, you need to be a part of an us. You need to be a part of a community. Students, if you start stumbling into sin and you don't have a community, you don't have an us that can do this process to you, you're kind of in trouble. There are Christians who stumble into sin But because they don't have anybody to go and talk to them, they don't have two or three people that love them enough because they haven't been rooted. Do you see that, right? Like, they're in danger. That's a bad place to be. And so you guys need to be a regular member. You need to be plugged into a community. You need an us. You need to be a consistent person so that way you can form relationships. If people don't know you, if you're not known, like, dude, if this is your first time today, I love you, okay? In one sense, I love you, but in another sense, I don't know you long enough to love you in that way, right? People come and go all the time in this youth group. People come in for a couple weeks, they check it out, they peace out for six months, they'll come back for a week, they'll leave for three months. People are coming and going all the time. Those kind of people, we can't hold them to the carpet. Like we, we can't call them out on their sin. We cannot do God's rescue mission to them because we don't know them. There's no context there. 
And so if you want to have an us, if you want to have a community that can save you from your sin, that God can use, who's your us? Do you have a community that you've granted access to that you said, hey, dude, like, here are my sins. I know it. You have the keys, dude. Anytime you need to come in, call me on this. Have you invited accountability? God rescues you through us, but you need to have an us. And so think about that, friends. If people, if community is God's key strategy in rescuing you, you should think twice if you don't have that. If you want to live for Jesus, if you are taking serious the call to... If you are taking serious the call to follow him and to stay in the path and observe his laws... If you're taking it seriously and you understand how dangerous sin is and you understand how easy it is to fall into temptation, why would you not surround yourself with an us? Why wouldn't you? You're asking for disaster. My dad, um, my wife makes fun of me and my dad's relationship all the time because I don't know what your relationship is with your dad, but... I would describe my relationship with my dad as a protective one, okay? So for example, when I pick up the cell phone and I call my dad, these are the questions that I'm guaranteed to be asked. Are you safe? How's the car running? Are you feeling okay? Do you need to go to the doctors? And I'm just like, and I've learned to humble myself. And instead of like, you know, I live 3,000 miles from my dad, so I'm not going to take the time for our conversations to go, Dad, I need you to stop pestering me about my health and safety and well-being. I just learned to accept that as my dad loves me, and he just shows it in a way that happens to annoy the world out of me, right? Come on, he loves me. So those are the kind of conversations I have with my dad. He wants me to be safe. And so what I've learned from him is to always be prepared. When he finds out that I'm taking a drive that's longer than 30 minutes, did you check the oil? Did you do everything that you need to do to make sure that you're okay for the journey? He finds out I'm going on a plane. Did you do everything you need to do to talk to the, 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 your emergency contacts? Did you make sure that who's picking you up from the airport? Are they going to get the messages if your plane's running late? He finds out I'm going to Canada. Did you do everything that you need to do to talk to the phone company so that way in case something happens they know where you were? And if my dad were to talk to you as a Christian and he found out that you're going on a journey called Christianity, he would say, did you do everything that you to, to make sure that you live the life well? Do you want to be a Christian? You got baptized? You want to live for Jesus for the rest of your life? Did you do everything that you need to do to make sure that you don't get wrecked? And you know what you need to do? You need an us. Because God rescues you through us. You need an us. Dude, here's a word picture that came to my mind. Anybody ever see a hitchhiker on the road? A hitchhiker does not own his own car. He jumps from car to car. If you're a church hitchhiker, that's the opposite of this. You guys ever see a church hitchhiker? You got to use your metaphorical imagination here to understand my figurative language. A church hitchhiker is always on to the next church. Hey, I need a ride just for the little leg of the journey. And then the next part of the journey, hey, I need a ride. Hey, I need a ride. And they jump from church to church. But students, if you do that, you can be church hitchhikers. You can be youth group hitchhikers. You can go your whole life and not ruin. You can graduate high school and never have committed your life to one youth community. If you do that, you don't have an us. 
You're accepted everywhere. You know a lot of people, but you don't have an us. You, it's just you and them, not us. We can't be church hitchhikers. And so step one, if your brother or sister sins, step one, you talk to them alone. Step two, you grab another person or two who will be helpful in the situation. And now what if they still don't repent? What? What if they still don't turn around? What if they still don't confess that they are indeed in sin and reconcile to you? Let's keep going. Verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Do you notice the increase in exposure here? You guys see that? You see, it's almost like God is like raising the oven, right? It's like, it's just like this increase in pressure. It's an increase in exposure. It went from one person. Hey, hey, guys, this is here. Three people. Hey, God says this is here. And now he says, I want you to tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. Now, when, when he says church here, does that mean that on a Sunday morning during the announcements, we're going to go, all right, I'm going to invite Eliza Garrison up here because Eliza has, uh, she's fallen to some sin. And so I need everybody in the congregation to look in point, look in point, everyone. Stand up. No, no, right? No, that would never happen. This doesn't say do it to the whole congregation. It says do it to the church, meaning the Christians. Who are the Christians in the church? The members. The only way to really know who are the Christians in the church is your membership. That's why churches, healthy churches, have membership. I'm not a member. I just kind of go. No, no, you need to be a member. You need to be a member. When you guys grow up and you join a church, you become a member. That's what Christians do, okay? And so this isn't saying bring it to the whole congregation. It's saying bring it to the Christians. In that day and age, their their membership, their church, the Christians probably weren't as large as our group, right? And so this is kind of my application of that. In today's day and age, guys, in today's day and age, we we wouldn't bring a person like this to all of the members. We'd probably bring it to the elders and the members who are related to that situation. Because the whole point of inviting the church in, listen to this, this is important, all right? Because this is so countercultural. You know what the mantra is in our world? Mind your business. Just mind your business. That's what our world is. We're private. Dude, you can be in my business when I want you to be in my business. But right now, mind your business. So the whole idea of, whoa, bring this to the church. We got to get this. We got to get this. The point is not to embarrass a Christian into repenting. The point is not to shame them into repenting. The point is this. To invite the relevant Christians to be a part of the rescue mission. By telling members who are related to that Christian about this and inviting them in, they can now pray. They can be a part of the rescue mission. And so we're increasing the exposure. Our goal is to see them rescued. I'm 26 years old. I'm about to be 27. I can say to you that I've actually never seen it get to this level. Okay? I've never seen a Christian come to the point of after being confronted by three or four people, I've never seen them still refuse to repent. 95% of people, right? And I would assume 95% of you in this room, if you're a Christian and somebody, if three people are confronting you, there, there would come a point where you go, all right, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm not thinking clearly. You're right. I'm in sin. 95% of the people are repenting before now. So I've never seen that. 
But if they did get brought to the membership, if they did have to get even more increased exposure because they're still not repenting, look what he says. Those who don't repent are treated as non-Christians. That's what he's saying here, right? Those who don't repent are treated as non-Christians. He says, if they refuse to listen to you, treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector. Any Gentiles in here? Any tax collectors? It's fun to make fun of you when you don't know what these words mean. Gentiles simply meaning somebody not in the community of faith, okay? In that day, they're Gentiles, they're outsiders, they're not part of the family of God. A tax collector was one of the worst, like, like imagine today if I was like, oh yeah, that dude, he's a pimp. Oh yeah, that lady, she runs a gambling circuit in her basement. Like the worst thing you could imagine, like that was a tax collector. And so what he says, if someone does not repent, treat them as a non-Christian. Now, students, listen to me very important here, okay? I need you to listen to me. Dogs bark. Cats meow. Ducks quack. Cows moo. Fish goes blob. The fox goes pow, 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 all right? These are what these, are what these things do, okay? Do you know what Christians do? Do you know what Christians do? They repent. Dogs bark, cats meow, Christians repent. That's what we do. That's who we are. In order to become a Christian, we had to repent. Everybody look at me. Look at me. This is how I became a Christian. It's very important. This is what I did. I did an about face. Becoming a Christian, repentance simply means going from living for myself, changing directions, and living for Jesus as my king. If you're a Christian, that little move right there, you do that every day of your life. Every day. If you're a real Christian, every single day needs to be marked by repentance. Every single day, in little, in little situations and big situations, it's little pieces in my heart that go, man... I'm not living for you, Jesus. I'm sorry, right? And I'm living for Jesus, but then I went over and I just and I said something at lunchtime that really just cut down a person, and that was rude. And in that moment, I have to apologize and repent and turn around again. Repentance is like breathing. It's what we do. Some of you guys, you kind of, you're stuck, <laughs> you know? And some of you guys, your parents talk to you and they call things out in you and you, and you and you have attitudes towards your parents and really, well, maybe I'm just tired. Maybe I'm feeling depressed. Maybe I'm doing, no, you know what your problem is? You have a repentance problem. If you are slow to admit your mistakes and confess your sin, you have a repentance problem and you need to just oil, you need, you need to do a little grease on the hinges. You know what I'm saying? Everybody say, I'm sorry. Say, I was wrong. I made a mistake. Please forgive me. <laughs> Dude, when I was your age, I would be like, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. Because I was the most stubborn kid, dude. I never wanted to confess that I was wrong. But if you're a Christian, dogs bark, cats meow, Christians repent, Okay? And so look what the text is saying here. When a Christian is walking in step with the Holy Spirit and they're confronted by another brother, you know what they say? Thank you. Dude, if Stephen were to come to me and have a private conversation, me and him alone, and be like, dude, like, I, just, I love you, man, and this, we're going to have a hard conversation here. When you did that, you sinned. You're, you're in sin right now. If I'm a Christian and I have the Spirit of God inside of me and I have a new heart, you know what I say? 
thank you. Sin is going to wreck me, dude. So if you didn't love me enough to call me out, I would have continued to go down that path. I say thank you. But if someone doesn't repent, if someone refuses to repent, we as a community, at that point, after step three, we as a community, we say, we have no reason to believe that they're actually in this with us. Christians repent. And so if you're not repenting, we're going to consider you and treat you like you're actually not a Christian. The church isn't removing someone's salvation. They're saying, I don't actually think they're even saved. That's powerful, guys. You have to understand what's going on there. The church has the authority to look at a person. If they're refusing to repent after all these levels, we as the church, we as a community, we go, we're just going to treat them like a non-Christian. Because Christians repent, and they're not repenting even after all this pursuing. So A plus B equals C, I don't think they're Christians. And so we treat them like a non-Christian. Does that mean that they get kicked out and they're not allowed to come? No. We have non-Christians here. We have non-Christians at our church. You can still be a part of the community if you're not a Christian. But the things that are reserved for only Christians, they won't participate in those anymore. Like membership and communion. On a Sunday morning when we do communion, what do we say? Hey, if you're a Christian, you're allowed to partake in this. Right? So the things that are reserved just for Christians, that person is no longer allowed to do those things. Because we're saying, yeah, we don't think they're a Christian. They're still allowed to come. We don't kick them out. And that's what he's saying. You treat them like they're not a Christian. And so look what God says about this process, because that's kind of heavy, right? Anybody feel like, whoa, that's kind of serious? Because it is. Look what God says. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Have you guys ever read that verse before, verse 20? It's usually put on a coffee mug. You usually put it on your Facebook profile. You go, where two or three are gathered, he's here in them all missed. My mom, when I was a kid, um, I got serious about my faith about eighth grade. And uh, it was ninth grade. And one of my Sunday school teachers said, man, if you want to grow in your faith, you go to a prayer meeting. And I was like, the old lady prayer meeting? All the old ladies went to the prayer meeting. So I thought it was an old lady meeting. No, it was the prayer meeting. Just the old ladies went. So I went. And those ladies, they'd be there with their tissues in their hands. And they go, Lord, we thank you today. I didn't go in the South, but they all talk like they're from the South when you're praying. It's more spiritual, right? <laughs> we believe that you are here in our midst because two or three are gathered. Can I get an amen? Right? right? Thank you, sister. Right? Thank you at you. They're actually from the South, so they just ministered to them. That was a taste at home. But this verse is not about, like, when we're in a prayer meeting, Jesus is with us. This is actually saying that when two or three, remember that language from a few verses ago? When two or three get together in the context of confronting sin, Jesus is with us. And so what the verse is saying here is that the church has authority. God has put authority in the church. And so again, I've never seen it get to this level, but I want you to imagine it. If a person, after being confronted once, and then twice, and then three times, if they're still not repenting, and the church says, you know, we're going to treat you like a non-Christian. If the church does this in a healthy way, they can have the confidence to know that their decisions and their conclusions are in line with what God himself has decided. That's what it says here, right? 
It's bound in heaven. It's loose in heaven. Whatever decisions and conclusions they're reaching, they can have the confidence to know that God himself is making those decisions. They can have the confidence to know, there I am among them, that Jesus is actually with them. And so if a church were to come together and look at an unrepentant person and say, you're not repenting, so you're not forgiven, they can have the confidence to know that that's exactly how God feels. They're not forgiven because they're not repentant. But when the church comes together and they pronounce joyfully, yes, you're forgiven because you've repented. Thank you. We've gained our brother. I'm so glad you've turned around. When the church does that, they can have the utmost confidence and God is also with them granting forgiveness. The church has authority. It's as if Jesus himself is working through this process because friends, whose rescue mission is it? If I confront you on your sin, this is not my rescue mission. If I confront you on your sin, it wasn't my idea. God is rescuing his lost sheep. God is rescuing you so that you don't get wrecked. And so when we as a community confront each other on our sin, it's actually God's mission. And so we can have the confidence and the authority so that he's in this. You want to realize when I read these verses, I realize that this is more than just like a human protocol. Do you realize that when it comes to your sin, heaven is involved? Do you realize that God takes the sin in your life and the sin in his community so seriously that he's involved in this process? Man, God is dead serious when it comes to rescuing you from your sin. God is not like your grandpa, that when he sees you off doing silly things with your boys or see you doing silly things with your homegirls, he's not like that grandpa that goes, ah, oh, kids, they're tomfoolery, they'll grow out of it. There's nothing cute about sin, students. There's nothing, there's nothing just, well, it's just a part of my growing up. I'm going to make mistakes. Nobody expects anything from me anyway, so I might as well just sin. Sin will wreck you. This is serious stuff. When I go on a drive with my dudes, right? When Courtney and these other ladies and Kira and Danae, when they bring you aside and they go for a drive and they say, hey, let's go, let's just go talk about this. They're not just being uptight. We're not just being overly particular. We are partnering with heaven to see you rescued from your sin. Sin will wreck you. And so when the church goes through this process in a healthy way to confront you and bring your sin to light and to, and to try to win you back, heaven is involved. Jesus says, I am with you. I am there. I'm actually the one doing this because God rescues you through us. God rescues you through us.